0: The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in August 2006.
1: Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28
0: on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we're joined by Gary Hines. Hi, Gary.
2: Hi. How are you, John? It's a pleasure Good, to be thank here.
0: thank you. Pleasure to have you on a
1: hot day. Uh, very uh, hot. Gary has a, a lot of different things on your resume, Gary. Most notably, perhaps, the first female director to ever win the Tony Award as Best Director for Beauty Queen of Lanann. That's right. Congratulations on that. Also, um, a lot of credits back in your native Ireland and here in New York in July, a show called the Druid Sing uh, Festival, which is really six different plays by one author.
2: That's right, it's uh, almost the entire canon of the work of John Middleton Singh who was probably the father of modern Irish theatre if you like um, and uh, I've been um, essentially a fan of Singh's right from way back at the beginning of my career and have done various productions of the Playboy and some of the other plays but about sort of seven or eight years ago uh, the thought came into my head that really wouldn't it make a lot of sense to try and do all of them together so that thought grew over the last few years and um, then the hard job of putting the finance together and the logistics of doing something like this but finally we did and premiered it in Galway in um, July of last year and then it went to the Edinburgh Festival and then a final set of performances on Inishman uh, the island where Singh found his inspiration uh, last September, and now here we are, having come through the Guthrie, here we are at the Lincoln Centre Festival. The
1: uh, Guthrie in Minneapolis. The Guthrie,
2: the new Guthrie in Minneapolis. We inaugurated the proscenium theatre there, the Maguire Theatre, with the week of performances just before we came here.
0: Well, in his introduction, John did not say that you are also the a founder and the artistic director of the Druid Theatre Company in Galway, Ireland. Why... Do you believe these plays needed to be seen en masse? Why at at your theater did you choose to undertake this project from an artistic standpoint?
2: Well, I think there uh, there are uh, about three or four different answers to that question. Um, First of all, in terms of Singh, he's a writer that's defined, I think, a little more by his absence from the stages than his presence on it. And when he is produced, it generally tends to be his great play, his his masterpiece play, play by the Western world. And I think that unfairly puts the other plays um, into the shade. Um, They do present particularly presentation difficulties Writers of Sea, for instance, only 25 minutes long uh, Another two works of his plays are, are also only about a half an hour long so that means those plays are not very often produced and to me they are wonderful plays um, second of all, w- becoming more and more familiar with, with Singh's work, it, it seems to me that there's a very strong canonical spine to the works uh, in the sense that he has an unrelenting vision and that vision runs very strongly through all of his work. And uh, it seems to me that if we did them together, there was a possibility that these plays would talk to one to one another in a way that would illuminate all of the plays. I think one of the things that we were very clear about in in the development that this must not just be an assembly of productions, that if it were to justify itself as a project it had to have some sort of overriding arc to the presentation of all of the plays together. That was the gamble we took that 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 would happen. We didn't know but we presumed that it might.
1: These plays were written roughly a hundred years ago, the Mm -hmm. early part of the 20th century.
2: That's right and they they were written over a span. They were written, they tended to be written together. He was working on all of them over a period of eight or nine years before he died. And um other reasons then went into it is, you know, when we for instance premiered the work of Martin McDonagh um, we premiered Beauty Queen of Linan in, in Galway in 1996 and then rather than going to, on to the second play, which is always a very great difficulty for a writer we decided in fact to put the next two plays into a trilogy of plays and that's simply uh, about my belief that in the theatre today I think the big event is important I think um, uh, creative, the creative part of teams like the actors and and designers respond to a big challenge and I think the audiences do do too I I think they like the big challenge and that was part of the thinking
1: now you you present the six plays in one sitting it's roughly an eight and a half hour stretch
2: in one sitting yeah Um, the day starts at two o'clock there are two intervals before a dinner break at six 5.30 and then resume at uh, 7 o'clock with an interval one interval uh, and finish at 10.30. And
1: you present the plays chronologically? No. No.
2: Um, One of the big um, questions all through the the, the process of rehearsing them is finally what order we would produce them in. Um, And we finally settle on the order we have now which seems to us to make sense of all of the plays together but it's not strictly
0: chronological. When you began rehearsing them, did you have a particular order you thought they'd be in, or you just worked on the plays initially?
2: No, we we constantly discussed the order. Um, and it was gradually, as we began to develop the plays on the rehearsal room floor, that the order suggested itself.
0: And in going through them, what did the plays reveal? Certainly Playboy, you'd directed Playboy three times previously. Yes, about that, yeah. And what did you find as you were putting them together? What, what arose out of this process?
2: Well, <clears throat> I think that Singh's uncompromising uncom- vision, the centrality of wom- women in his work, um, the darkness of the humour, a celebration of life, but the constant presence of death. Um, I think all of those things were, were things that emerged, things that we thought might be there but emerged more and more as we worked on them.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about the, what you said, the centrality of women, the women's roles in, in the various shows?
2: Well, he wrote extraordinarily well for women. I mean, um, all of the plays in, in Riders of the Sea, Moira is the dominant figure and I think one of the great creations of, of uh, English-speaking drama. Uh, Peggy Mike, uh, I think the... the my feeling always has been that the uh, tragedy of Playboy of the Western World is Peggin's tragedy, not Christy Mahon's. Um, the woman in Shadow of the Glen who, who leaves a, a an embittered marriage uh, to walk the roads rather than, than suffer the domestic dullness. Um, and uh, Deirdre of the Sorrows. Um, and uh, for a writer writing at his time and in his place... Those those women are modern women, as I think the plays are modern plays in a way that it's hard to believe that they're they're a hundred years old.
0: Well, you say modern plays, you chose in really just one of them, as I recall, or just a couple to to bring in modern elements. Yeah, and others seem to have remained very clearly in in their period. Yeah, how did you make that choice relating to the plays?
2: Um, Again, it emerged through the work. Um, If we just go through them, in Riders to the Sea, um, I made a decision which surprised even myself, or or with my team. We made a decision which surprised us, which that it should be utterly authentically costumed. Um, And I think if I hadn't been doing it in circumstances, that possibly wouldn't have been the decision. But since it was the seedbed of of all of the plays, and since... um, it was going to eventually the decision was taken that it would open the day it seemed to me to make utter sense that we would start there then when we move on to tinker's wedding which is essentially it doesn't have any real authenticity to it in relation to the social circumstances which surround it which riders does we decided that in order to understand the plays it made sense to take that and and so the costumes are a mix of the modern and the, they're a mix of modern thrashy and, and um, uh, uh, costumes of the period and we play with that all throughout In uh, um, Well of the Saints is only set in 17th century Ireland which really is a meaningless concept to even us in Ireland, never mind here um, and so rather than doing that we set it in, in a, the kind of uh, imaginatively impoverished Ireland which followed sing, i.e. the early 30s and then actually had the various members of the crowd costumed over a period of the next 20 years so these were all all the costuming decisions became, if you like, creative decisions, rather than decisions that worried about the authenticity of the costumes in relation to the period.
1: And you have the same actors pretty much in all six of the shows. That's Not right. necessarily every one of them, but throughout the shows it's the sure. same basic people. Yes. Which must be pretty exhausting for them.
2: It's pretty exhausting for them, and uh, I'm, I'm, there were times during the rehearsal process when people threw up their hands in despair and said, we're never going to manage this, I... So, always quote the, the time when I was doing notes at the end and we were in a three week preview and tech period and uh, as usual I finished my note sessions with the full company by saying, right, has anybody any questions? And Eamon Morrissey held up his hand and I said, Yes, Eamon, what is it? And he said, Just one question. And he said, And I said, What's that? He said, Why? <laughs> Which <We laughs> just about summed up everybody's spirit of the time. But actually the plays give you the energy and the project gives you the energy and um Again, in terms of the reasons why one would do a project like this, uh, to me, the ensemble company is something that is extraordinarily difficult to maintain in, 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 in practical terms in modern theater and yet I think that the ensemble company leads to um, performances challenges and performances that that just are simply not allowed in the, in the kind of chopped up way we do work now so part of the attraction of doing this project was indeed to put together a company of actors well if
1: the actors were saying why what about years ago when you were first developing the project were the backers and the producers and the other people saying the same question oh
2: yeah absolutely i was saying the same question myself
1: were you <laughs> well, well yes well, how, how did you come up with the idea in the first place you were familiar with Singh's work certainly
2: i want to do all of Singh's work uh-huh. and uh in wanting to do all of Singh's work i want to do do all of it together i felt that
1: but but th- but, but at one point you must have the, the idea must have hit you at one point not from the very beginning but you must have said gee why not do all these together
2: I, I remember the first time it hit me was actually very many years ago it would have been only about 10 years after Druid started out and I remember at the time thinking I would of actually love to found a company which would do only Sing's plays for a full year because Druid would uh, not have had the resources to do that at the time so that idea stayed there and then became the idea that that Druid could do all of the plays at the one time. And there are particular circumstances in terms of Druid's place in the Irish theatre um, that allow us to consider big projects like this.
1: And of course some of the plays are relatively short, so... Yes. They they could not have really been presented by themselves because of the length.
2: Well, they could have been presented by themselves, they could have been presented as lunchtime theatre, or they could Uh have been presented as a one act with a full length. They could have. But, um, and this is why a particular admiration in fact, because when particular admiration for, for... uh, Lincoln Centre Festival and and for, for, for all the people there that they took the gamble and said, no, um, we are only going to sell the full day. We are not going to sell it off in bite-sized pieces, which they could have done. Um, that's a big bottom-line decision to take and they did it and I'm thrilled for them that in fact the shows have sold out.
0: A moment ago you commented about developing the company to tackle all of this work and it it bears noting that Several actors in key roles who you began with a couple of years ago ha- are not part of the show. Indeed, Donald Gleason's here in New York in Lieutenant Inishmore now. That's right. Has there been a lot of change to the company and how has that affected the process as the shows have gone along?
2: Well, yes. I mean, it, there have been significant changes, but that was part of a practical decision-making process in the sense that financing this project was extremely difficult. And eventually I took a decision which I was loath to take, um, but seemed to be the only way to get the project made, which was to front-line the, 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 the uh, financing of it by mounting a production of Playboy of the Western World in the year before we went into the full project. So I cast that play at that time, and subsequently um, uh, Well of the Saints and Tinker's Wedding, knowing that... Uh, a significant amount, amount of the actors would not be available for the big project in, in 2006. But uh, those those were the decisions I had to make in order to get the, pro- uh,
0: the project up and running. Well, we keep talking about Druid Singh. Hopefully there will be more opportunities around the world for this to be seen, but you mentioned the place of the Druid company in Ireland, and I think we should talk a little more about Simply the Druid. It was fascinating for me to find out the first professional theatre company outside of Dublin in the country. was Druid, yeah. It was Druid. That's an extraordinary achievement, kind of mind-boggling to think that it was the case only 30 years ago that, that... there wasn't professional theatre elsewhere. How did you come to found this company?
2: Very simply, um, really um, in the sense that I went into university, did a general arts degree there, became involved in the drama sock in university um, where I met Marie Mullen and uh, subsequently Mick Lally who was was working as a teacher in Galway and acting in the Irish Language Theatre there on Tyviark. And um, when I was about to leave college I wanted to continue on doing plays um, but the idea of accessing professional theatre of actually for instance being a director and trying to go through the process of getting into professional theatre seemed um, to us at the time impossibly remote added to that was the fact that I didn't want to leave Galway, the west of Ireland was my, increasingly my spiritual home, I mean I did toy with coming to New York and, and in fact spent very formative summers all, all through the time I was in university coming to see theatre here and seeing theatre off off Broadway and realising suddenly that theatre could be made in small rooms with small resources. It wasn't about big institutions like the Abbey and it was the particular kind of uh, synergy of that experience that made me think, look, well, why don't we have a professional theatre in Galway and uh, the thing is when you're 21 or 22 years old you can say those kind of things, mm-hmm. and uh, you can set out and try and make it work, which we did.
1: Well, the Irish are known as great storytellers. Certainly a lot of great playwrights have been Irish or of Irish descent, authors as well. Why do you think there were no professional theatre groups outside of Dublin in Ireland
2: Well, all it would, those years? Yeah, well, it would, have, uh, it would have something to do with Ireland's poverty. Uh-huh. Uh, remember until about 10 years ago, Ireland was a very poor country. Um, it was also a very conservative country. Also, there was, a, there was one of the things that served the, the Irish theatre well outside Dublin uh, in the course of the ta- that time was the amateur drama movement, which was very powerful and very strong. And basically, the amateur drama movement was founded in order, uh, in the course of Lent, effectively, the entire entertainment industry, if you can call it that, in Ireland shut down because the priests, you know, the, the church band dances were off and all of those kind of things. So a way in fact (laughs) to keep the population engaged was this amateur movement and there was a series of festivals held around the country and indeed that was one of my first experiences of theatre and that's the first time I saw theatre and that's the theatre I saw um, when I was there. uh, Dublin was about uh, uh, the Gate Theatre Annie McMaster was a great touring theatre but that was over by the time I you know when I was growing up um, and the abbey, but the first time I went to the abbey, I was uh, in my last year at high school, and I in fact didn 't go as as a trip to the theater. I went as a trip of uh, as part of my French class because there was a French classic being presented there, so mm-hmm. you can see the gap was huge.
1: So in essence, is it fair to say that because amateur theatre was so strong and so popular kind of kept professional theatre from developing?
2: No, I wouldn't think that's true. I think professional theatre didn't develop, as I said, for financial reasons, for Mm -hmm. reasons uh, that Dublin had such a uh, a hold, a grip, the notion that somehow mm -hmm. or other there there could be professional theatre. That simply wasn't there. But certainly the amateur movement did serve Mm -hmm. the the, the, the play that theatre needs. Um, it 's obviously as as Ireland has changed so hugely in the last ten or twenty years, um, it, that has become less and less a significant factor, um, but at the same time, it still exists.
0: I was surprised as I looked over the production history of the Druid company that in the earlier years, you seemed to be doing more. International work, and instead of starting solely from the Irish roots, you were doing Edward Albee, Alan Akeborn, um, you know, Russian writers, Leonard Melfi Paul from Foster. here in the U.S. Yeah, um, how how is it that you came to winnow that out of the repertory and become seemingly a, a more Irish company over time?
2: I think it was, um, you know, if I can speak just from my own experience, I mean, when I was growing up, I, I was growing up in 70s Ireland where, where, you know, people were beginning to get the sense there was a world outside Ireland. And as a young person in that context, I, in a sense, rebelled against the Irish. What, what would have 100-year-old Irish plays to say to me? Or indeed, Irish novels. I mean, I was... Uh, rebellious and ignorant if you like or wanted to be rebelliously ignorant and so therefore my theatre education came through here uh, came through you know my experience coming to New York and those were the plays that spoke to me and it was only gradually and indeed in some ways through Singh that I began to realise that no actually as I began to read this more and as we began to do more and more th- of these plays that these plays actually spoke to us and meant something and that just because they were locked into a particular history that was to do with big institutions like the Abbey or the Gate, which seemed, as I said, impossibly remote to us, didn't mean that the plays themselves couldn't be approached from our point of view and done differently. So when we, for instance, took Playboy of the Western World to Dublin in, in uh, the second production that we did in the early 80s, um, the production was hailed by the critics there as a radical new Interpretation of play by the Western world. Now we were not aware of that. We set out to do the play as we saw it. We had no theatre history on our backs, so we just did the play. We took it for what we saw in it and did it as we was as it was as we saw it, rather than any sense of this world of theatre history behind us and the performances of Siobhan McKenna and Cyril Cusack or whatever. We weren't aware of those, and and I think to some extent. That was part of our strength.
1: A few minutes ago you mentioned Marie Mullen. Mm-hmm. We should I think maybe talk about her a little bit. Um, I should point out that she was in five out of the six uh, Druid Singh plays that you just did. Right. Also she won the Tony for portraying a heroine in Beauty Queen of Linan. That's right. And you mentioned that your history with her goes way, way back to, to school.
2: Absolutely. In uh, in uh, just if I may mention it, since you've mentioned it, she, she played an app, one of her first most wonderful performances was, was Velma Sparrow in, in, in Birdbath extraordinary um, I met her in university she she came into university at the same time and um, she was one of my co-founders with McLally in Druid so there, there's there's a great privilege for me I suppose for all of us that the two actors with which I founded the company in 1975 and in fact who played Christy Mahan and Peggy Mike in that first production are now you know the, the company leaders. Thirty years later, it's been a long and, and very fruitful relationship for both of us and and for Mick.
1: Speaking of university, when you were in school, did you know that you wanted to direct, or did that just no come along later? That
2: just came along. Um, um, I basically went into the first meeting of Dramsoc when they were taking their the intake of freshers in, and and they divide the acts. They simply said, "Hands up, who wants to act?" And I absolutely. Knew instinctively that that's something I didn't want to do. Did I want to act? No, not (laughs) at all. And hands up who wanted to direct, I wasn't quite sure what it meant, but I put my hand up for that. (laughs) And that was that. That's how it all started. That's how it all started. And
0: any regrets now? None whatsoever.
2: (laughs) No, I'm not not fit for anything else at the moment.
0: (laughs) You commented before that, in some ways, you you began Druid in in opposition to some of what else you might have seen in in Ireland, Irish theater. Um, that that was a counterpoint. You were looking at different kind of work. You did ultimately take a hiatus from the Druid now as we know it, and for three years you were the artistic director at the Abbey, which of course is is the classic story of the the. Scrappy underdog becoming part of the establishment, and then you returned. Yeah. Um, Can you characterize what that experience was of those three years and, and why it drew you ultimately back to the Druid?
2: Well, first of all, when I left Druid to become artistic director of the Abbey, I intended that to be my departure from Druid. I had been, I think at the time, 18 or 19 years as artistic director and I felt both for me and for the company that was, that was a long run and it was time to, to leave Druid. Um, I never intended to return and, and uh, it was only a year after I left the Abbey that uh, the board of Druid um, in attempting to find a successor to my successor at Druid came to me and asked me whether, whether I would come back. Uh, with trepidation they asked me and with trepidation I said yes but we took the gamble and I, I think both of us probably feel that it has worked. Um, it was um, it was a, a very sort of um, formative experience for me. Um, I was, you know, exactly as you characterise it, you know, I had come in from the outside to the Abbey. The Abbey had um, very big problems, which were clear even then, and those problems continued to, to, to haunt the organisation for a further ten years. And so, therefore while I very much enjoyed the three years and while I don't regret it for a moment um, eventually the lack of will within the organisation at the time to tackle those problems was extraordinarily frustrating and and, uh, led to my departure.
1: What what sort of problems? Uh, Financial?
2: No structural governance Uh from the top down. The structure of the organisation essentially was uh, moribund and uh, was not able to respond to the challenges of, of the modern Irish, th- Irish theatre. And um, there was no real will to tackle those problems uh, within the organisation itself.
1: Your bio also shows that you've directed for the Royal Shakespeare Company, you've directed Second Stage here in New York, you've done That's other true. directing assignments. How do, you, how do you choose what you want to do other than what we've just talked about?
2: Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's quite simply, I mean... Um, You know, I have my work with Druid, which is is central and important, but I also want to... I like to work with other people. I like different experiences. So it really is, you know, um, to a large extent, projects are offered to me and what makes sense to me at the time and, and what I have a passion for.
0: Well, in terms of those other projects, it seems interesting that when you returned to Druid, it was only a couple of years later that Beauty Queen came along, and that both vaulted you and the company to a level of, of international attention, I think, yes. that was was probably not there before. Well, first of all, talk about the effect of Beauty Queen, which brought you to acclaim here in New York, and how that affected you and the company.
2: Well, I don't think that it really... I mean, it was a great thing for to happen for the company Uh, it was there was you know um, when the production was a success in Ireland and then subsequently in co-production with the Royal Court in London um, there was a great degree of of interest in the productions from New York but most of that interest talked about myself and the play and didn't include bringing the actors in which I felt was incredibly short-sighted and so we basically talked to various different people but said, no, unless you're prepared to bring you know, uh, the company in, we're really not interested. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to us. And eventually that did happen, and it became a success. Well, we
0: should credit the Atlantic Theatre Company, an off-Broadway so. company, not a commercial production, very not a Broadway so. producer for doing that. Uh,
2: absolutely. And um, um, there was a great sort of, again, synergy between our two companies. I think that uh, what we felt is that Atlantic and ourselves, you know, we had the same vision, we thought the same way, we are almost about the same age and it was a real match eventually thankfully it was a real match made in heaven and and, uh, the fact that then the production went on Broadway so you know it it was a high point obviously it was extremely successful the Tony Awards but essentially we returned home to do the work as we do always and um, you know as we're doing now Um, immediately after Druid Singh finishes the company returns home to do a new play by a new writer uh, Empress of India by Stuart Carlin and of the seven actors in the play um, six are in the current Druid Singh company so there's a continuation of work through the high points and indeed through the low points
1: basically a a rep company sort of
2: well um, we can't afford to maintain a rep we only do three new productions each year W- which, is,
1: which is why I said sort of. <laughs> sort of, yeah,
2: precisely. But Analogous. we do, um, you know, I, I don't like the word because it has slightly sentimental implications, but there is a Druid family. And, you know, I don't think that without that, that kind of energy in the company, we could have achieved something like Druid Singh.
1: Well, in bringing a beauty queen of Le Mans to New York, what sort of problems did you encounter that you have to... Jump through a lot of red tape to get the actors able to work here?
2: Yes we did I mean um, first of all a lot of the interest because the play was was, was sort of commercially successful in the UK um, a lot of the interest was from commercial producers and commercial producers tend to want stars so that was the first hurdle. Then second of all when Atlantic came on board and we started talking about it obviously we had to deal with uh, American actors equity in relation to getting the releases and the releases for the Irish actors to come in and Atlantic did absolutely extraordinary work there and eventually it all worked out very well and I like to think that it worked out very well for both American actors and Irish actors because the show continued to have a run with with great American actors like, like Kate Burton um, after the Irish actors left
0: In t- talking about Beauty Queen certainly Martin McDonough has been internationally acclaimed as a great discovery of Irish playwriting and here in New York it seems like we've been having a festival of, of Irish playwrights all year Druid Singh being one part of it. What is the state of Irish playwriting because you certainly play a key role in discovering these writers and what what are the themes what are people concerned with as they write or is it simply the full breadth of the world? I think it's
2: the full breadth of the world um, I think there's a number of reasons um, for the health of Irish writing in the last three or four decades um, one of them which I think is significant is that we have had master writers um, like Brian Friel and and Tom Murphy and Frank McGuinness continuing to have very long writing lives um, and so therefore there is there is um, a very strong and powerful leadership within the, the the writing profession. I think the Abbey have continued to, to produce new work uh, and, and we 've been lucky because I think Irl- Ireland offers a national stage in a way to Irish writers that perhaps is not quite so easily available in the United Kingdom and certainly is not so available in this country um, I think, however, at the same time, it's it, it's if I'm giving the impression that, that that Ireland is absolutely coming down with talented writers, it's not, um, you know, and there is a lot of um, there can sometimes be, as there is here, a lot of lip service played to new work, and I think too many new plays reach the stage before they're ready, and too many writers go into a kind of what I would call almost equivalent to development hell in the movies where their plays are endlessly workshop but never produced or never produced in full so you know it's a struggle um but but you know uh, your commitment always has to be with the writer because um if you um if you ignore the writer you are imperiling the future of the theater
0: who are the new writers in Ireland that you're interested in and are excited about
2: well I can talk about the writers that we're currently working with um, Stuart Carlin is certainly one of them I think Stuart is um, his first play was premiered at the Peacock Theatre two years ago Defender of the Faith and his second play now Empress of India we'll, we'll be doing I think Stewart is going to be a major figure in the Irish Theatre um, there's a new young writer called Lucy Caldwell we're producing her first play it's called Leaves and it's just uh, won the George Devine Award which is probably the most pre- prestigious award for, for uh, young writers in, in the islands between Ireland and the United Kingdom um, obviously Marina Carr continues to be a very important voice um, Marco Rowe uh, is an extraordinary Irish voice and um, you know there are at least half a dozen eight people there that that um, you know when you hear they have a new play you, you'll climb over hot coals to get to read it
1: Well except for musicals where directors, female directors frequently come out of being choreographers and they become directors um, How do you find the challenges of being a director? Do you find being a woman is is a problem nowadays? It must have been certainly years ago, but is it still?
2: I think it's less and less of a problem. Mm -hmm. But remember, I had a led a sort of slightly charmed existence Uh because when I started directing plays in in, in university I had no sense that women didn't usually direct them and indeed in the early years of Druid I had no sense of that either because I simply wanted to direct plays and did so I didn't have to climb the greasy pole of of, um, the hierarchy within organised institutions and it was only gradually maybe you know about five years after Druid started that I began to look around and realise no actually women directors were in a Minority. So, you know, I think I have avoided the worst problems by virtue of the fact that I've been lucky enough to, to, to be artistic director of my own company and to uh, effectively help set the agenda for myself. But undoubtedly, there are times where you realise, and this tends to happen in the bigger institutions, that, you know, the problems suffered by women everywhere are in the theatre too.
1: Well, you've you, you developed your career in, in your native country, in Ireland, but how about here in New York on Broadway? There was only one female director of a play in this past season, Lee Silverman. The others were, were musicals that were directed yeah. by women. Do you think that Broadway is still a, a boys' club?
2: I think Broadway is, to some extent, a boys' club. I mean, I was shocked when, when, when I actually got nominated for the Tony. I literally did not believe that no woman had ever won a Tony. I thought there has to be some mistake there. Particularly uh, being aware of the contribution of women directors, designers, lighting designers to America's theatre history. But it started to make sense to me when, when I realised, well, no, hang on, the Tony Award is not an American theatre award as such. It's an award on Broadway. And Broadway is driven by money. And money is driven by men. And I think, I think mm. that's, that's the truth of the mm.
0: situation. John's asking about the relationship of being a woman in theatre but working here in America I'm curious, you've had opportunities to direct certainly in one case an extremely American seeming play, Crimes of the Heart you directed a premiere of an Arthur Miller work um, and then on Broadway, Sixteen Wounded is there a challenge for over here being seen as something other than a director of Irish plays? Oh yeah,
2: of course, yes, absolutely um there's no question about that i uh, i think that uh, you tend to be uh, imprinted with your you know with your first you know so the 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 play was an irish play uh, an intensely irish play i'd say to american ears and obviously that's the context people think you in that's why i've very much enjoyed the opportunity to do american work and it's You know, to do Crimes of the Heart at Second Stage, um, to do uh, Streetcar Named Desire for the Kennedy Center with with American actresses like Patricia Clarkson and and Amy Ryan has been a a wonderful opportunity for me and one I've grabbed with, with both hands.
1: What do you think you want to do next?
2: Uh, I'm thinking about it Um, the the immediate future includes um, Impressive India and production of translations which which I'm doing at the MacArthur Theatre in Princeton in the fall Uh, and um, I'm developing a number of projects which will be in development over the next two or three years but I think um, you will be seeing another big project from Druid over the next few years
0: tackling, saying you're dealing with one of the major writers in the history of Ireland now doing translations for the McCarter in New Jersey, um, you are tackling perhaps the greatest living Irish playwright in, in right. Brian Friel. Um, Have you had the opportunity to do much of Friel's work?
2: I haven't, actually, um, to a large extent. Brian's work has been uh, premiered uh, at the Abbey and at the gate, and he has had um, very... and and his own company, Field Day, and he has had um, very fruitful relationships with with other directors. So, you know, when when a Brian Friel play would be premiered at the Abbey for Druid to do it a year or two later, would have felt slightly redundant. I have always... Passionately love Freel as a writer, and so therefore, um, it's great for me to have the opportunity to do this play um, at this time. Um, uh, his work is, you know, um, his work is his achievement and his work within Irish theatre and its continuance over a period of time is. He is a towering presence in Irish theatre, and so therefore, this for me is uh, an opportunity. I both. Uh, you know, um, um, sort of reaching for and uh, um, apprehensive of. Is there the opportunity to consult with him as you approach he, this play? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I've had conversations with him about casting, and we'll continue to have a dialogue with him right through the, the production.
1: A few minutes ago, Howard mentioned the uh, the large number of Irish uh, playwrights and Irish actors represented on Broadway. To that, I would add English as well. Um, what do you think that says about the American audience and theater in this country? That so many. Um, Imports, so to speak, are, are are running or have been running. Well, well you
2: see, I think I think the word import shouldn't be used. Uh-huh. I think that we're li- living in a global society uh, increasingly, and so therefore, why shouldn't theatre follow? So I have no understanding, you know, um, why there isn't free uh, traffic between all our countries. If I um, if I about to do a play by what I consider a great Irish writer Eugene O'Neill. Mm-hmm. I want to have I want to be able to, to, to look at the, the great pool of American actors. I want to work with American actors as much as I want to work with Irish actors and English actors. Why, why have artificial geographic limits particularly when those geographic limits are absolutely disappearing in every other sphere, sphere of activity so um, you know it doesn't quite make sense to me. I don't think of them as imp- imports. And and uh, we want to have American plays <clears throat> on the stage in London and on the stage in Dublin. And the more that happens, the more the theatre in all of our countries are enriched, as far as I see it.
0: Well, you, I keep coming back to it in the statement you made. The place of the Druid in Irish theatre, what do you think the place is now? Because we talked about where you came from, we talked about your experience at the Abbey. What what space do you think the Druid occupies in the country?
2: Well, I think we occupy space in the sense that we, um, we are an established organization ourselves. Um, if you like, we are the establishment, but at the same time, uh, uh, because of a series of strategic decisions that we took as the company evolved, or oh, particularly over the last ten to fifteen years, we are able we are able to turn around and do major projects. We don't have to keep a building open. Um, we Galway now has its own civic theatre. People of Galway can see theatre for three hundred and fifty days of the year without it seeing Druid, and so therefore it seems to me that Druid has to continue to make a place for it in the sense that we at Druid must be doing something that is not available anywhere else in Ireland by any other company and that therefore that determines what our, our mission is and that for us simply to reproduce what's happening elsewhere makes no sense therefore we look at our particular circumstances uh, which are part of our history and part of the Irish Theatre generally and we take that and turn that into what our advantage is so we we um, We are part of the theatre fabric, I think, in that way.
1: Any final thoughts on where you see theatre in the world going in the future?
2: Well, I think that, you know, to me it's always seemed extraordinary, just the act of theatre, that a group of people will allow, uh, will in fact pay, to enter into a darkened room, or even a not-so-dark room, and allow another group of people to exercise their imaginations on them, and to do that willingly. That seems to me to be an incredible privilege, an incredible power but all of us don't succeed all the time and sometimes we almost willfully fail to not attempt to make use of that huge power and to do your very best to make that the kind of event that cannot happen anywhere else because it's live that's what we have to do to preserve the future of the theatre
1: and I think on that note, it's very uh, apropos to say, Gary, thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage Center.
2: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks, Gary. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org And for
1: XM Satellite Radio, I'm John von Suston for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.